Once upon a time, in an age of forests and firelights, our ancestors were wise to the spectrum of human identity. Among the fairy tales and myths they told were stories of glass coffins and marble statues, eunuchs and androgynes, chaste marriages and bodily transformations, symbolic stories that hint at other identities, tales of asexuality. This is the Asexual Fairy Tales Podcast, and I'm your storyteller, Elizabeth Hopkinson. Each month I'll be reading you another story from my books of asexual fairy tales. Some of these are old tales of myth and legend, in which I first found representation for my asexual identity. Others are original stories by me, based on traditional motifs. It's a personal selection. I hope you find something in it that speaks to you too. So sit back if you are able, relax and enjoy another asexual fairy tale. Hello again and welcome to the Asexual Fairy Tales podcast. Thank you all for your support so far. It's amazing to see how many countries around the world have been listening in. This one's tale is the tale of Princess Kaguya, a beloved Japanese folk tale, which has been retold many times, including as an animated film by Studio Ghibli in 2013. It was first written down for English-speaking readers in 1903 by Yei Theodore Ozaki in her Japanese fairy book. Ms. Ozaki was a Japanese-English aristocrat and friend of the fairy tale and collector Andrew Lang, who encouraged her to write her own book of fairy tales. Like the heroine of this tale, she was a child of two cultures, who refused the marriages her father tried to arrange for her. The tale of Princess Kaguya illustrates the tragic consequences of family and friends failing to understand a person's identity. It leaves the reader with a bittersweet ending, which most Western fairy tales do not have. There was once an old bamboo cutter who lived on the edge of a forest. Every day he would go into the forest to cut bamboo, and every night he would go home to his hut and his aged wife, his only companion in the world. They had no children and no grandchildren, and this made them very sad. But they'd long since buried the sadness deep in their hearts, knowing it was now too late for things to change. One day the old man went into the forest as usual. As he approached a clump of bamboo, he noticed a strange light shining from it, as if the moon had fallen to earth and was shining its light in the grove. Intrigued, he went closer. The light seemed to be coming from one particular stem of bamboo. Taking his knife, he carefully cut into the stem. Moonlight pooled into the grove. There in the centre of the bamboo stalk was a tiny little girl, only three inches high. She was perfectly formed and exquisitely beautiful, with raven hair and skin like pearls. This must be a gift from heaven, the old man exclaimed. Carefully he carried the bamboo child home and showed her to his wife. A gift from heaven indeed, said the wife. We will love her always. The old man and his wife raised the bamboo child as if she were their own. She soon grew to a usual size and they marvelled at her beauty and quickness of understanding. Every day some new thing she did or said brought them delight. She brought the old woman flowers she had picked 
and sat on the old man's lap as he told stories of an evening. The couple felt quite young again and could hardly remember life before their daughter arrived. In addition, another miracle occurred. The first week after finding his daughter, the old man was again cutting bamboo in the forest, when he noticed the same light he had seen before. Cutting into the bamboo, he discovered inside the stem a shining pile of gold nuggets. Heaven is providing for the daughter we were sent, he told his wife when he brought it home. And the wife agreed. A week or two later, the same thing happened again. The next month, he cut into the bamboo to discover a hoard of precious stones. Soon, he was no longer a poor bamboo cutter. In fact, he gave up bamboo cutting altogether and began to live the life of a nobleman. He had a beautiful house built with covered walkways, a courtyard garden and its own bathhouse. Servants brought the best of seasonal food to the family's table. They dressed in silk kimonos and spotless white stockings, and the old man travelled to visit his neighbours in a lacquered cargo or sedan chair. As for the daughter, she was kept behind screens like a princess, hidden from the vulgar eyes of the world. She was taught calligraphy, poetry and how to play the cotto. When she came of age, a prestigious name-giver bestowed upon her the name Princess Kaguya, a name meaning the shining light of the moon. For that was how everyone felt when they were in her presence, as if the moon had shone its gentle light on them. The celebrations following Princess Kaguya's naming went on for three days. There were fireworks, music, wrestling and poetry competitions, the fame of Princess Kaguya's beauty and accomplishment spread from family and friends out into the town. There was no one to compare to her, they said, not in all the eight islands. And still her fame spread, from town to town and from province to province, until young men fell in love just at the mention of Princess Kaguya's name. Suitors gathered outside the house and made little holes in the fence, hoping to catch a glimpse of the princess. Even the hem of her kimono or the breath of her perfume would be enough, they said. But the old man guarded his daughter jealously. No servant could be bribed. No wall could be breached. In the end, only five suitors remained. These men stood outside the house, day and night, come sun, rain or snow. They were samurai, all of them, trained in steadfastness and honour, nothing would deter them from their quest to meet with Princess Kaguya. They sent her poetry about their sleeves being red with tears of blood. They picked the first cherry blossoms, the first ripe persimmons to send to her in the hopes of winning her heart. And when all that failed, they sat in silent vigil, their legs crossed like monks, waiting for her to reply. The old man, meanwhile, had begun to pity the five suitors. They were worthy men, samurai, of good families. Any one of them would be a worthy match for his daughter. But whenever he broached the subject with her, she refused to listen. Father, I know you and mother have been so good and kind to me all these years. I would do anything to make you happy, but not this. I have no desire to marry. It is not in my nature. As I'm not your real father, I cannot compel you. 
the ex-bamboo cutter said. But consider how your mother and I are getting on in years. How will you live when we are gone? A good marriage will give you security. Beside, these men have been waiting at our gate through one season after another. Will you not take pity on them? And her father went on to describe all that the suitors had been through, standing steadfastly in the snow, meditating throughout the night, all in hopes of meeting her. When she heard the tale, Princess Kaguya felt truly sorry for the men. I will see them, she said, but you must allow me to dictate what follows. The old man would do anything for his marvellous daughter, so he invited the suitors to come into the house. They could hardly contain their excitement at the thought of an audience with the famed Princess Kaguya. Though she sat behind a curtain as they knelt on the wooden floor, the merest glimpse of her shadow was a thrill to them, and the sound of her voice had them in ecstasies. Gentlemen, my father has told me about your suit and your long vigil. Though I fear your wait is in vain, I will give each of you a chance to prove your love for me. If any man can succeed in the quest I give him, I will consent to be his wife. The suitors tensed in anticipation. Their moment of deliverance was at hand. Each of you must seek the precious object I name. As there are five of you, the objects represent the five elements that make up this world. You, sir, and she named the first suitor, are to bring me the stone bowl of the Buddha, which is said to be in India. The first man quaked at such a task, but the princess went on to name the second suitor's quest. You, sir, are to go to the mountain of Horai in the eastern sea. On its summit grows a tree with branches of gold, leaves of silver and jewelled fruits. You are to bring me a branch of this tree. Each of the tasks was similarly impossible. The third man was to go to China and bring back the skin of the fire rat, which was completely flame-proof. The fourth man was to seek out the dragon of the sea. On its neck was a jewel that glowed with five colours. He was to capture this jewel and bring it back to the princess. The fifth man was to bring back the swallow's cowrie shell, which it had carried in its stomach for a year and then hidden in its high nest. Gentlemen, these are your tasks and I wish you luck in them, said Princess Kaguya, and the suitors were dismissed. At first they despaired of even attempting such tasks. They were impossible, the stuff of dreams and tales. But at last one of them said, Gentlemen, are we not samurai? Which of us has ever backed down when facing adversity? To do so would bring shame on ourselves and our families. I, for one, am willing to attempt the princess's quest. At this, the other four declared likewise. They each went their separate ways to seek out the fabled treasures. Not a word was heard of the suitors for three years. The princess and her parents lived contentedly at home as they had always done, although they sometimes wondered what had become of the five samurai. Then one day, the first of them returned. He was carrying something wrapped in cloth of gold. When he unwrapped it before the veiled princess, everyone could see that it was a stone bowl. Princess, this is the stone-begging bowl of 
the Buddha himself brought all the way from India. He bowed with his head to the floor. Behind her curtain, Princess Kaluya smiled. I doubt that, sir, she said. If this were truly the Buddha's bowl, it would shine with immortal light. This is just an ordinary temple bowl. Ashamed, the man confessed it was true. He had no idea how to even get to India, never mind finding the Buddha's bowl. So he'd persuaded a temple in Kyoto to sell him this one, then waited a suitable amount of time before bringing it to the princess. I'm sorry, he said, it was only my great love for you that made me act thus. The next to arrive was the suitor who had been sent to seek the jewelled branch of Mount Holok. He arrived in great style and had his servants set down a large plant pot in which was planted what looked to be a cutting from a tree. It glittered gold and silver in the sunlight and jewels gleamed from its branches. Princess, I have journeyed long and hard to bring you a branch from the tree of Mount Horai, he said. When last I left your presence, I took a ship to the eastern sea in search of the treasure. Oh, the things I endured. A storm engulfed us, so terrible that it threatened to tear the boards asunder. For ten days and nights we never saw the light of the sun. The storm ran us aground on an island inhabited by demons. Only my diplomacy saved us from being killed and eaten. The demons helped us mend the boat and we set sail once more, only to be tossed by high waves. And then becalmed for two weeks and we almost died from thirst. At last we came to land on an island with a high mountain at its centre and on the mountain peak a shining light. Is this Mount Horai? I asked the first man I saw. He glowed with light, looking more like a spirit than a man. Indeed it is, he said. The blessed Mount Horai, where stands the golden tree. With great difficulty, I ascended the summit of the mountain and set eyes upon the marvellous tree. I reached out my hand. At that point, there was a commotion in the gardens outside, the old man called a servant to slide open the door and see what was going on. Outside were six jewellers from the local guild. They bore staves in their hands and spoke to the servant angrily. That samurai lord you had in there ordered us to make that jewel tree three years ago. For three years we have worked day and night turning down all of the custom. And now it is finished. He refuses to pay us. Princess Kaguya could not resist a little laugh at the comical outcome. The jewellers were duly paid, but the second suitor was dismissed in disgrace. It wasn't long before he retired to a monastery, leaving worldly society altogether. Next came the suitor who had been sent to find the skin of the fire rat. He was very confident that the article was genuine and told the princess so. In that case, you won't object if we test it by throwing it into the fire, she said. By all means, go ahead, said the suitor. A learned friend brought it me all the way from China, and believe me, it wasn't cheap. At that, a servant tossed the skin into the brazier. There was a horrible crackling sound and an acrid smell. The room filled with smoke. The fire rat skin, cried the suitor. No, no, make it stop. I've been cheated. Cheated. And so he had. But... As he had no other fire rat skin to produce, he was dismissed a failure. The fourth suitor did not return in person, but instead sent a manservant to say that he was ill in bed with a dreadful cold and fever.
After sending men near and far to inquire after the sea dragon and its jewel, he had decided there was nothing for it but to go to sea himself. The captain of the ship, he took, thought he was crazy, but nevertheless he'd taken the suitor's money and embarked with him on the crest. It was hurricane season, and the winds and tides were against them from the start. They were blown here and there with waves washing overboard and men clinging to the ropes for their lives. At one point the suitor thought he saw a sea dragon. It was lithe and terrible and rocked the boat until it almost capsized. But the captain told him that he was in a fever and what he had seen was merely the crest of the waves. At any rate, said the servant, his master had returned home extremely unwell and with no intention of courting the princess further. News of the fifth suitor was even worse. He had climbed a high cliff where he believed the swallow had made a nest for the magical cowrie shell, but in attempting to reach for it, he had slipped and fallen to his death. All further talk was silenced by the death of the fifth suitor. He had been a noble man, and Princess Kaguya mourned his senseless death. Why would he go so far on an impossible quest, she said, Surely now men will leave me alone. And indeed most men did leave her alone, for the tale of the five suitors had spread and most feared the consequences should they dare to court Princess Kaguya. But there was one man who, hearing of Princess Kaguya, decided he must know her, whatever the cost. That man was the Emperor of Japan. The princess intrigued him deeply. What was it about her that made men die for her love, even though she refused to be wooed? What was she really like, this woman that everyone adored, yet no one really seemed to know? As emperor, he knew what it was to hide behind bamboo curtains, worshipped as a god and forbidden to be looked upon. Perhaps he and this Princess Kaguya were not so very different. Perhaps he could get to know her. He arranged to take a hunting party to the countryside where the princess and her parents lived, still close to the bamboo forest where she'd been found. The emperor soon outrode his retinue and reached the house alone, peering through a hole in the fence where the suitors once had looked. He caught a glimpse of black hair and layers of autumn-coloured kimono. He removed a few stalks of bamboo and squeezed through the gap. There before him was a beautiful maiden, her eyes bright black against her white skin. When she saw him she flinched and her eyes began to shine with unbearable brightness. The Emperor covered his eyes. Forgive me, I never meant to startle you or cause you any fear. The Emperor's voice was gentle as if coaxing a shy fawn. I only wish to visit you and offer my friendship. I am the emperor of these islands. Please, your majesty, don't make me say anything traitorous, said Princess Kaguya. I cannot become your wife or enter the inner seraglio. I know you have the authority to command anyone under your lordship, but I am not... No, I've said too much. <laughs> In truth, there's nothing I'd like more than to bring you to my palace where I might see you every day, said the emperor. But I will not force you. Please let us sit and talk for a while. 
before people begin searching for us. They sat in the garden and talked, the emperor all the while falling more and more in love. Princess Kaguya was more than just a beauty, or a woman of refinement. She had intelligence and insight beyond his own, and something else, an air that was somehow beyond this world. When the emperor left, Princess Kaguya agreed that they might write to each other. And from that day they wrote often, exchanging poetry and observations on nature. From time to time the emperor became emboldened to speak of his love. But the reply was always the same. Those feelings could never be requited. Please do not ask me again, she wrote in her last letter. For I feel a great change coming over me, and it may be that our correspondence will soon come to an end. What could she mean? The emperor, puzzled over her words, greatly troubled. Her foster parents were worried too. Lately, the princess had taken to gazing out at the moon for long periods of time. Sometimes they would see tears on her cheek, or hear her softly weeping. At last her father asked her what was wrong. You have always known there was something different about me, she said. I have always known it too, although I was never quite sure what it was. But now I'm certain. Father, I'm not of this earth. I'm a moon princess. I was sent to be reborn on this earth for a time, but now it is time for me to return to the moon and to my people among whom I can exercise my true nature. They will come for me at the next full moon on the 15th day of August. No! Her father was distraught. It cannot be. You cannot leave us. What about the Emperor? I will write to him, she said, and tell him what must happen. The old man bristled. I will write to him myself. He will be able to stop this from happening. No, father, you mustn't try to stop it, the princess pleaded. This is my true nature. I am a princess of the moon. But her father refused to listen. He wrote to the palace, informing the emperor of what the moon people intended to do. As he had expected, the emperor was horrified. He sent 2,000 warriors to guard the house on the night of the 15th of August. A thousand on the roof and a thousand at the gates. Their quivers were filled with arrows and their bows were strung and ready. It will do no good, Princess Kaguya said to her mother. Their weapons won't work on the people of the moon. I'll stop them from taking me, but father and the emperor won't listen. Tears came to her eyes. I wish I didn't have to leave you all. I love you so much, but it's time for me to go. The old woman hugged her close and they wept together as the night wore on and the soldiers kept watch. In the early hours of the morning a cloud crossed the moon. It seemed at first as though it was just drifting by, but gradually it grew closer and those watching began to hear music coming from it. It's them, said Princess Kaguya. They're coming for me. The cloud drew closer. All could now see a flying chariot on top of the cloud with a radiant being inside it, the king of the moon. 
Around him stood shining beings with wings, playing many kinds of instruments. The time has come, said the Moon King. Bamboo Cutter, we thank you and your wife for your care of our daughter. But now she must return to us and fully become a Moon Princess once more. No, you cannot take her, you mustn't. Captains, tell your men to fire. The soldiers loosed their arrows, but it did neither good nor harm. In mid-air, they all turned to flowers and fell harmlessly to earth. Father, don't fight. Princess Kaguya had come out of the house and stood before the silver cloud. We've had so many happy years together. Let it not end in bitterness. Come, Princess Kaguya, said the Moon King. Let us not waste any more time. Step up to this cloud. Your sisters are waiting to put a cloak of feathers around your shoulders. Once it is upon you, you will forget all the troubles of this world. And when you drink from the elixir of life which they will give you, you will become truly immortal and able to live on the moon. The moon king held out his hand. Princess Kaguya took it and stepped onto the floating cloud. She took a sip of the elixir of life and was about to let the shining beings put the cloak on her shoulders when, wait, I've forgotten my friend the emperor. Let me quickly write him a note to say goodbye before I lose my human form. In spite of the Moon King's impatience, everyone waited while she wrote her last words to the emperor. She wrapped the letter around the vial containing the last drops of the elixir of life and bade the captain of the guard take it to his majesty. At last she said, I am ready. Goodbye, mother and father. Do not forget me, though I forget you. They put the cloak of feathers on her shoulders. At once it grew into wings, which she stretched out as the cloud began to rise. The music began playing once more and the old people watched it recede with tears in their eyes until it was nothing but a speck on the surface of the moon. In a pool of silver moonlight, the guards dispersed and returned to the palace, taking the letter with them. When the emperor read it, he was silent for many days. Then, with its words burned on his heart forever, he commanded his ministers to take the letter, along with the elixir of life which he dared not touch, to the top of Mount Fuji. There they burned together, and there they are burning still, on the peak of the sacred mountain. Thank you for listening to my sexual fairy tales. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast. If you really enjoyed it and want to buy me a coffee, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash Elizabeth Hopkinson 48513. Don't forget you can follow me on Twitter at hidden underscore grove or go to my website elizabethhopkinson.uk where you'll find links to all my books all the links are in the episode description i really appreciate all your support stay safe and keep reading